Morning, everybody. So the question was, what's your favorite movie, Christmas movie? What is it? Okay. How many, how many, how many, how many, how many to you too? It's, um, one of the, and I don't know that anybody said this one, but one of the longtime classics, over five decades, this has been a classic, um, shared by uh, children and adults alike, is Charlie Brown's Christmas. Woo! First aired CBS in 1965, I was eight. Don't do the math. Um, and it was one of those instant classics. And people, <clears throat> this was back in the day before DVDs and DVRs and all the other Ds where you didn't have to, you weren't bound by when the networks told you you got to watch a show, right? That. Back in that day, they told you, you're going to watch this show on this Sunday at this time and so forth. Um, and so families would organize around watching these shows um, like Charlie Brown Christmas. I remember the next couple of years, that was a big deal. You know, when's it going to be on? And the family would gather around uh, our one TV. Nobody had earbuds on. Nobody was looking at their own device. Everybody was watching the same the same boob tube, remember that, boob tubes? Um, and uh, so we would watch Charlie Brown's Christmas. And it was a great little story of this boy who is just looking to find the joy in Christmas. And he's struggling, he's not happy. And uh, there's a wonderful scene at the beginning of this little film uh, where he's trying to figure out what's going on, what's wrong with him. And so he goes to Lucy's little psychiatry booth, right? He gives his nickel. Um, rather than me tell you the story, let's just watch this clip from A Charlie Brown Christmas. All right, now. What seems to be your trouble? I feel depressed. I know I should be happy, but I'm not. Well, as they say on TV, the mere fact that you realize you need help indicates that you are not too far gone. I think we better pinpoint your fears. If we can find out what you're afraid of, we can label it. Are you afraid of responsibility? If you are, then you have hypengeophobia. I don't think that's quite it. How about cats? If you're afraid of cats, you have aleurophasia. Well, sort of, but I'm not sure. Are you afraid of staircases? If you are, then you have climacophobia. Maybe you have thalassophobia. This is fear of the ocean. Or jephorobia, which is the fear of crossing bridges. Or maybe you have pantophobia. Do you think you have pantophobia? What's pantophobia? The fear of everything. That's <laughs> it! <laughs> Poor Charlie Brown, right? Pantophobia, he's afraid of everything. In the story of the birth of Jesus in the Gospels, it's story filled with fears. Mary has fears, Joseph has fears, the shepherds have fears, the king has fears. And so there is built into it all of this fear. We're living in a time in this country where fears, our fears, are being exploited. Our fears are being exploited for the financial gain, for the political gain of, of various people and parties and, and 
all of this fear that we live with. So it's such a timely message for us to be looking at fear because in the Christmas story is fear, but right alongside of it is hope. Back in the 19th century, a young pastor from Philadelphia, having visited the Holy Lands just the year earlier, penned a song that became a beloved Christmas carol called, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And the last line of the, la- of the first verse says this, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Great, great uh, description of the account of Jesus' birth. All of the fears of the people and all of the hopes of the people come together in this stable, in this little village of Bethlehem. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of hopes and fears and our own hopes, our own fears, and how the message of Jesus speaks to our hopes and to our fears. So I hope that you'll make this a part of the next few weeks of your celebration of this season. So I want to spend the time that I have with you this morning talking about a story from the Gospel of Luke. It's the first chapter um, of Luke, and we're introduced to a couple. Um, the husband is Zachariah, and his wife is Elizabeth. Zachariah and Elizabeth, you can call them Zach and Liz. All right, so this couple, um, and in Luke's uh, Gospel account, the first uh, uh verse 5 through verse 8, is a description of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And rather than read it to you, I'll just tell you what it says. It tells us a few things about them. One, that Zechariah is a priest. He's a priest in the temple in Jerusalem. So he is a priest. It tells us that they were very righteous when it came to the law, the commandments, and the regulations of uh, the, their faith. So they were very devout. They were, they were very obedient to the commandments and to the regulations of the law. And it tells us that they had no children and that they were quite old. So that's what we know about them. As the story unfolds, Zechariah has been chosen to go into the sanctuary to pray on behalf of the people, to offer sacrifice and burn incense on behalf of the people of Israel. It was a great honor for him to be able to do this. Not every priest in Jerusalem or not every priest in Israel had the opportunity to do this. So it was a great honor for Zechariah to do that. And so when this opens up, this uh, that I'm just about to read to you, that's what's going on. We have Zechariah, who's a devout guy, married to Elizabeth, no children, elderly, and he now has this high honor of going into the sanctuary in the temple to pray on behalf of the people. So picking up the story now, this is verse uh, beginning with verse 11. It says this, While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right of the incense altar. I want to pause there for just a second because this is an interesting thing. The 
Gospel of Luke, written by Luke, his whole, um, not his whole, but a big part of his agenda was he wanted to give an account of the life and teaching of Jesus. He was not one of the disciples, so he went around as like a reporter asking his disciples, Jesus' disciples, and those who had been following him for a long time to tell their stories. And he wanted to give a detailed account, and he wanted to make it clear that he wasn't writing a myth, he wasn't writing a made-up story, that he was giving historical information. So he often throws in little tidbits like this, like where the angel was actually standing in the sanctuary. So that he wasn't writing it for people in uh, 2018, he was writing it for people then, knowing that when they heard these little tidbits, these little facts, they'd go, oh yeah, I know about that. So it'd be like me saying, hey, you know what? I saw an angel, and the angel appeared to me. He was, he was in the sanctuary at Hope. He was standing to the right of the prayer wall. You know where the prayer wall is over here? He was standing to the right of that, and as you were reading that, if I wrote it to you, you'd be going, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So that's why it's there. So it's not an insignificant thing. It's an important part of... Um, why the gospel accounts are so um, important for us and believable uh, because they were writing true stories. Okay, so then verse 12. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw, uh, with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you were to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. All right, so this angel appears to Zechariah, in the sanctuary, he's giving him this incredible uh, information. So, little spoiler alert for those of you who aren't familiar with who this guy is. Zachariah is the father of, they do have a child, so that's the first spoiler alert. They actually do end up having a child. They do name him John. He grows to be a man. He is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's whole role was to be the advance man for Jesus, to let Israel know that Jesus is the promised Messiah that we have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years, thousand years. Jesus is that one, and so that's John the Baptist's role. This whole uh, idea of uh, the why he mentioned no wine or alcoholic drinks was because John was going to be part of a sect of Judaism called the Nazarites. So within Judaism, there was this sect. These were highly devoted, devout uh, men, and uh, part of their devotion was in their lifestyle choices. So they didn't cut their hair, for example, and they never touched wine or any kind of alcoholic beverage. So he was going to be a Nazarite. That's why the angel is telling him all of this stuff, right? So here's Zechariah hearing this news from an angel. And what I found interesting as I was reading and reflecting on this passage was the fear, the fear in Zechariah. 
it says two things. It says he was shaken and he was overwhelmed with fear. Two distinct words in the Greek language. The first word, shaken, is the word terazzo. Terazzo. And this word, there's a physicalness to this word. It, it means to literally shake, shake something. But for an emotion, it is to uh, shake something, uh, to jar it from within. Now, you've had that experience, right, where something frightens you, where something scares you, and you have a physical reaction to it, right? You know what that feeling is, like your stomach goes into a knot, and uh, your heart starts to race, and your breathing may get heavy, your muscles tense up, you know, that kind of feeling, Last time I remember that happening was this past summer. Uh, Marilyn and I were on vacation, and uh, we were asleep. It was the middle of the night, and I had this wild dream, and I was being attacked by someone. And it was so real and so vivid that to defend myself, I took a swing at this one attacking me and hit the, the headboard of the bed right over Marilyn's head. Bam! I practically broke it. <laughs> I'm just saying, it was, it was a mighty hit. <laughs> Marilyn didn't even budge. <laughs> this, is, this is her world, you know, like, oh, it's just Jeff, you know, <laughs> defending me again. But for me, it was so real, so vivid, and so I had all of that physical reaction, you know, my heart is racing now, I'm wide awake, I'm breathing heavy, my hand hurts. Um, that's Tarasso, all right? You can understand if you are uh, somewhere all by yourself and an angel of God appears, you're going to be a little Tarasso, right? Like, that's a frightening thing. That's, that's pretty scary. I have prayed in this room a bunch. Never an angel appeared yet. But if one does, I can guarantee you, Tarasso is going to be my reaction. It's going to be frightening, right? So that's, that's understandable. But then there's this other thing that happens, this other word. It says that he was overwhelmed with fear. Overwhelmed with fear. And the word in the Greek that is translated overwhelmed with fear is phobeo, phobeo. It's where the English word phobia comes from. Now, in our common uh, vernacular today, when we talk about a phobia, we're talking about an irrational fear, an intense irrational fear, right? That's what we saw in the clip with Lucy. She's asking Charlie Brown about these various phobias. Do you have a fear of cats or stairs or heights? What kind of phobia are you dealing with here that is causing you this fear, Charlie Brown? Back when I was a, a young man, I was dating a, a girl near uh, my, who was from my town. I grew up at a shore community, and we lived less than a mile from a marina. And so I was walking with this young woman, and uh, we were walking by this marina, and all of a sudden she starts to shake, and, and she's, she's starting to freak out. And I said, what is wrong with you? And she said, I have a phobia of boats out of water. 
I can't handle being around boats out of water. So, you know, there are all these boats sitting up on these uh, cribs uh, out of the water, and she was freaking out. It's a phobia. Back then, and the, the actual word, it's not about an irrational fear. It's about just an intense kind of fear, an overwhelming sense of dread and fear. So I'm reading this, and I'm wondering, why is this devout religious leader have this intense fear of an angel? I can get being frightened, you know, jarring, but why, why this intense kind of fear. And then I've realized, I think Zechariah was afraid of God. He was afraid that God was angry with him. And here's why I think that. Back then, if you were childless, People believed that it was because God was punishing you for something in your life that you had done wrong. And so God refused to give you a child. And so I think that even though he was a devout man, he carried with him this burden, this fear that he had done something so egregious that God was punishing him and his wife by not allowing them to have a child and was not hearing their prayers, pleading with God. There is, this was a kind of a common theology back then. Jesus, as an adult, was walking through a city with his disciples and they saw a man begging and the man, the Bible tells us, was born blind. And the disciples believing this theology, said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Somebody had to have sinned that that made God so angry that he blinded this guy at birth. And Jesus' response was, it was neither his parents or this man who sinned. It's the wrong theology. It's a common theology today. People might not call it a theology, but it is. People refer to it as karma, right? Karma. Karma, the way it's described is if you put out good things into the universe, you'll get good things back. If you put bad things out into the universe, you'll get bad things back. The problem with that is it's wrong, right? It's, it's wrong. First of all, it, it, its view is that God is the universe, whatever that means. And it doesn't go that way. You can be, and, and you know people, good people who do great things and bad things happen to them. You know bad people who do bad things and good things end up happening to them. It's a simplistic kind of theology. But I think Zechariah was wrestling with that as well, that he felt that he had done something so egregious that God was so angry with him. And that's why he was so filled with fear and dread when the angel appeared to him. Here's something I'd like you to take away today. When your faith in God's goodness depends on your goodness, you're going to fear God. 
when your faith in God's goodness depends on your goodness, you're going to have a fear of God. So here's where the hope enters in at the Christmas story. Jesus came to bring the message of God's grace. Grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. You can't earn God's favor. You can't be good enough. You don't have to be good enough in order to earn God's favor. You are not so off track that God doesn't love you. For God so loved the world, John tells us, that he sent his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves the world. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. And his grace is offered to all. And so Jesus came to bring God's message of grace and ultimately to become the sacrificial lamb that on him, all human sin, your sin and my sin, was placed on him that at his death, the burden of sin, the consequence of sin, would die with him so that we have access to God's grace. So that when we ask for forgiveness, we have full forgiveness from God. And God comes not just to bring a blessing to you, but he wants to work in you. So when we receive Jesus, when we say, Jesus, I want you to forgive my sin, I want you to lead my life, the Bible tells us that he gives you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit working in your life is developing what the Bible calls the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit include love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things that the Spirit is, is developing in you as you are following Jesus. And they're not just for you. They're so that you and you and you and me and us together can bring blessing to a world lost in fear. That's the good news. It's not just to bring you blessing, but it's to make you a blessing to others. I uh, got an email this week I want to just share with you guys. Um, it was written to me by uh, a woman, a friend, who was a part of Hope Church back in the early days, back when we were at Signal Hill School, um, Signal Hill School that way. Um, uh, in that first couple of years, they were this family was with us when uh, we moved to the high school. So for the first eight years of this church's life, this family was here. They moved away, and, and we stay in touch uh, periodically. So she wrote me an email, and um, she said, you know, my, my husband and I belong to a church that just started a new campus. Like, oh, got my attention there, right? We just started a new campus in Mount Laurel. And she said, the pastor has been encouraging all of us to go visit the new campus sometime before the end of the year. And so my husband and I went last week. So this is what she, this is her reflection on that experience. 
She wrote, to be honest with you, I was not prepared for the flood of emotions that overcame me as I stood in the lobby. There was such an energy and enthusiasm. All I could think of was Signal Hill and our time in that building. The level of volunteerism was electric. Seeing those people welcoming us and others created an atmosphere that was warm and inviting. As I sat in the service, I began reflecting back. I began reflecting back, and then I sensed God speaking to me. All those years ago, I thought I was helping God out by working tirelessly to help get hope off the ground. What God whispered to me yesterday was that he was helping me out, growing my faith, stretching my trust in him, and moving me into a deeper, richer relationship that I never would have imagined. I was overcome with emotion of gratitude as tears fell on my cheeks. I thought as I sat in that room, the countless people that had no idea of the joyride that they were about to embark on as they nurtured the growth of new people in this location. What a day, what a journey, what a gift. She got it. It wasn't just about her doing for others. If you have a faith that's all about what you do, you've missed the grace that God offers for what he's done for you, what he's doing in you, and then how you get to be a blessing to others through the gifts that God's given you. That's the hope. That's the good news. That is Christmas. So here's Zechariah. He's, he's got all of this fear. He's overwhelmed. The angel says, don't phobeo. Don't have this kind of fear. I've got good news for you. God's going to do something great through you to bless others. You're going to have a son. All right, here's what he... The next part of that story, here's what it says. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Which was a very clever way of putting it, don't you think, husbands? <laughs> I'm old, and the bitty here is old too. He didn't say that. I'm old, she's well along in years. He learned something in marriage. <laughs> what a dumb question. And Gabriel says about as much. Gabriel's like, seriously, dude? You see me here, right? I'm an angel. I stand in the presence of God. Angel means messenger. I'm bringing a message from God. I don't know. How can this be? It's a fear-based question. It's a fear-based question. When we have a faith dependent on what we do, 
God's goodness depending on our goodness. When we have that kind of fear, even our questions are fear-based. And so the band is going to come back up and and lead us in a song, and I, I have two questions that I want you to think about over the next week. Because here's the thing. The better questions we ask, the better answers we get, the better direction we get. Asking good questions moves us further along. So for some, the question is, have you asked Jesus to forgive your sin, to make you right in the sight of a holy God? Have you asked him to lead your life? And if your answer to that question is no, then the follow-up question is, why not? Why not? And that question should lead you to seeking better answers. The second question is, how has God, how is God, how is God blessing you so that you might be a blessing to others? How is God blessing you so that you might be a blessing to others.